0: Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Return to the Lord. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. may be seated.
1: You guys are all so spread out tonight. Well, Happy New Year. I trust that you all had a good time celebrating friends and family. I guess, good Christmas. Yeah? Good, good. You guys there tonight? Yeah? Okay, good. Who has already, we're like, two days in. Who's already broken their New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Brave? No? Haven't st- who hasn't started? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I actually, I really enjoy setting goals, not necessarily resolutions, but I do enjoy goals. Um, and we actually, we had fun with the kids just talking through like what... Uh, what they'd like to do this year. It was fun to just ask, like, what, what would you like to do this year? What would you like to accomplish? What are some goals for the year? It was fun. But we do have to be wise and uh, hold our goals loosely if the last couple years has taught us anything. Because who knows what could happen, right? Um, all right, so this week, we're taking a, a bit of a pause, a break from where we've been. We, we just closed out our Advent series and uh, instead of jumping right back into 1 Timothy, which we've got a couple of weeks left in that, I figured we would take a pause and talk about prayer and fasting, which is, I think, something I don't know that Refuge has done much of. Um, but as, as we were thinking about this coming year, and as elders, we've been praying and thinking through what the Lord wants to do in this upcoming year Uh, We felt like it would be really good to encourage and to invite and to ask all of you to join us as we're praying for what the Lord wants to do in this community for the next year and beyond. So really what this comes down to is an ask for you guys to join us as we're praying about what the Lord wants to do. We're inviting us, we're inviting you into that process. And if I'm honest, fasting is one of those things that like it's not a strength of mine. I prefer feasting. Anybody else prefer feasting over fasting? Amen. <laughs> uh, and I to with that, I think we don't talk enough about feasting. I think there's there's a spiritual element to that. Um, but fasting is, it's it's hard to pass up. It's an important spiritual discipline that is all through the scripture, all through church history, and it's an important thing to touch on. Um, yeah. For most of church history, fasting has been an important practice um, that has gone along with. For some reason, I think in our culture, we have lost it. I mean, we, we live in an amazing place to eat and drink, there's everything here you want to enjoy. Uh, and I think we have lost touch with some of that. So hopefully, I, my goal today is to first define what I mean when I say fasting. Let's take a look at what the Bible means when the Bible talks about fasting, um, what that practice looked like in the Bible, what it looked like in the early church, how that works. And then also, I'd like to challenge us to put this into action this month. This is the the invite to to joining us in this. So what is fasting? Fasting, the the dictionary simply defines fasting as to abstain from all or some kind of food or drink, especially as a religious observation. But there's, people have to fast for all sorts of health reasons too. Um, How many of you guys have, I'm just curious, interactive time here, how many of you guys have participated in some sort of a fast for a religious reason, for for your faith, not, yeah, good, good. It's an important clarification here. In the Bible, fasting is always around food. It always relates to food. Second clarification that has to be made when trying to define fasting is that fasting in the Bible must be accompanied with prayer, Fasting when it's done, when, when you fast without praying, really what you're doing is starving yourself. That's, that's not the idea. It must include prayer. In Jesus' day, uh, most Jews, for sure all the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays, typically, were fast days. The early church actually continued that practice. They would fast twice a week. Seems like a lot, right? Twice a week they would fast. They changed it, however, from Monday, Thursday to Wednesday, Friday. It's, it's actually kind of funny. In, in the Didache, which is an, an early writing of direction for how the church should function, it says this. It says, don't let your fasting coincide with those hypocrites, they fast on Monday and Thursday. You should fast on Wednesday and Friday. So the church moved it, but the common practice for the church, for the very, I mean, for a long time, was fasting twice a week. Interesting. And this is I discovered this this week in the, in studying this. They would not fast, and it was actually. You could not fast. They, did, they strongly discouraged fasting on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturday was the Sabbath, and Sunday was the Lord's Day. And so for the early church, those were days of celebration, days of feasting, days of being with family and friends and community. They were not days to fast. The only exception to that was uh, Holy Saturday in the celebration of Easter. This was the practice for the church for a very long time. As you you trace through church history, it seems like all the way up until the Enlightenment, this was the standard practice, fasting twice a week. It made it past the Reformation. We know this was the standard practice because in reading John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he says things like this. He says, and I fear that there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, he says, both in England and Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice a month. Yeah, are there not some of you who do not fast one day from the beginning of the year to the end? So he was a little bit cranky about it. But the point was, all the way up up until John Wesley, there was still this practice happening, and he's, he's seeing a departure from it, of fasting multiple times a week. Something changed in the Enlightenment. Something changed in that point in history. And I think what happened there is that during that time period, something switched in our prevailing worldview to where all of worship, spirituality, those sort of things, they they were separated from everything physical. Instead of having a holistic view of of our worship that included simple things like the way you eat, It was divorced from the natural, and it was left to be just a mental ascent, something you think about or do inside your head. Fasting is a physical act of worship. It's it's something you do with your body. Fasting is all about engaging your body. It's all about taking your flesh and bringing it into the spiritual disciplines bringing it into alignment with where your head and your spirit are the thing is we have so far separated our view of what is spiritual with what is physical that we don't it doesn't make sense for us i think in our culture like th- there this doesn't tie together what what does what i had for lunch have anything to do with my worship but for Most of the church history, for sure through the Bible, it was an important fact. Our culture, though, is steeped in hedonism. You do what you want. You do what makes you feel good. You do. You do you. That's how we live. We'll look at three things that biblical fasting is not. So I think that's the easiest way here to define this. Fasting in the Bible is not abstaining from bad things. Not abstaining from bad things. We have heard I've heard, I'm sure you have too, people taking doing negativity fasts or fasting from alcohol or from social media, those sort of things. And I think there is incredible benefit to those practices. There can be immense benefit to stopping disruptive habits, addictions, and taking time. But that's not fasting. That's Christian living. That's the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is about submitting all of your life to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. Taking all of those things that are not beneficial and submitting them to Jesus' leadership. Biblical fasting is not a restricted diet. I know there's a lot of talk about the Daniel fast. You guys heard of it? Yeah? Uh, Daniel was on a restricted diet. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a fast. He was just really trying to eat in the way that was faithful to his faith, the kosher diet, in an environment where... He had to restrict everything in order to do that. Biblical fasting is not a diet or health fad. Intermittent fasting for your health or your body image is not the practice of biblical fasting. It's not the same thing. In the Bible, there is no prescription for length of fast. This is another thing that that is interesting. We see that there are three 40-day fasts in the Old Testament, or in the Bible. Interestingly, that those three, that's Moses, who represents the law, you've got Elijah, who represents the prophets, and then you have Jesus, who represents the gospel and the, uh, the new covenant. Those are the three examples we have of 40-day fast. They're extremely rare, abnormal things. All three of those extended fasts are a response to an experience. God shows up in an incredible way, and these men then respond by fasting for 40 days. They experience the divine presence of God, and the only way they know how to respond God shows up. He makes himself known. The only way they know how to respond is to fast. In the Bible, we see examples of people fasting in a response to tragedy or when people are aware, become aware of their own sinfulness, their own need for God. We see fasting in the New Testament when the disciples are asking for direction from the Lord, as an example, when they send out Paul and Barnabas. But most of the fasts in the Bible are one day. Sometimes a full 24 hours, but usually from sun up to sundown. In fact, through church history, that was the practice. From sun up to sundown, that was the length of the fast. Let's look at the, what the Bible, what Jesus has to say about fasting. And the clearest place to go is the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open to Matthew 6. We'll spend some time there. We'll come back to the verse that we read earlier in Joel. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, we're going to look at verse 16. Jesus says this about fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face Uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. First thing to notice here is when Jesus taught on fasting, he did not say, if you fast, He said, when you fast, Jesus is assuming that his followers, his disciples will fast. It's not really up for discussion whether or not they would fast. That's he's assuming they will fast. He's assuming that that will be a normal part of their rhythms of life. We see later on in Matthew, Matthew 9, which we'll look at this here in a second, when uh, Jesus tells John's disciples um, that his disciples will fast. He says that again. Let's look at that, actually. Matthew 9, 14. I think it's going to be on the screens. Matthew 9, 14 through 17. This is another discussion on fasting here. The disciples of John... John the Baptist had disciples. They came to him saying, "'Why do the Pharise- uh, why do we, the disciples of John, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, the followers of Jesus, do not fast?' And Jesus said to them, "'Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them?' The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast.' But no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine spills, and the skin is destroyed. But new wine is put in fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. It's a bit of a cryptic saying of Jesus there. Here's what I think it means. The disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus why his disciples aren't fasting. They're like, look, the Pharisees fast. Most good Jews fast. We fast as the disciples of John. What's the deal? Apparently, the disciples of Jesus were not fasting. Jesus, when he praised John the Baptist for his ministry, in Luke 7, he says this, John the Baptist has come eating bread and or eating no bread and drinking no wine he's come fasting and you say he's a demon the son of man that's jesus has come eating and drinking and you say look at him a glutton and a drunkard so the disciples of john come to jesus and they want to know why are your guys not fasting what's the deal Jesus answers in the way that's very typical to Jesus. He gives them a word picture. He says, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. I think by Jesus saying this, we we learn a couple things. First, we learned that fasting was, by and large, in Jesus' day, associated with mourning. It was an expression of brokenheartedness, of desperation, usually over sin, over some danger or some deeply longed for blessing. It was a practice of mourning. It was something you did when things were not going the way you wanted them to go. You would fast. Secondly, we learn that Jesus is declaring himself to be the the long-awaited bridegroom of Israel. And while he is with them, there is reason for joy, not for mourning. Then Jesus said this. He said, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast again when you fast. The question is, when is he referring to when Jesus said, then they will fast, when is he referring to? Some people say that, that he's, he's only referring to that short time when Jesus was in the grave. Because then he wasn't with them, he was in the grave. But after that, we received the Holy Spirit. I actually don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. It is true that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit in his absence The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So in a very real practical sense, like Jesus is here. He's with us. In a profound sense, he's still here with us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be the comforter and that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would come to us. He is with us. But there is still a greater degree of intimacy, a greater degree of his presence that we do not experience in this age. In another very real sense, Christ is not with us. Things are not okay. Things are not right. Anybody aware of that? Yeah? This is why Paul said that we would prefer to be absent from the body to be home with the Lord. Or again, he said to depart is to be with Christ is very much better. In other words, in this age, there is an ache inside, or there should be an ache inside every Christian that Jesus is not here and things are not okay and things are not as they should be. Things are not fully and perfectly made new the way they will be. We hunger and we long for more of him and more of what he is going to do in our city, in our community. And that is why we fast. Jesus said, continuing there in in Matthew 9, he said something very crucial. He said, he puts together two images one about a patched garment and one about a worn out wineskin i think often like you hear these these sayings about the patched garment and the worn out wineskin and they're separated from this issue of fasting but in context they're very much tied together the patched the patch of unshrunken cloth and the new wineskin i think they represent This new reality that is coming with Jesus, with the Messiah, he's here. As Jesus said, the bridegroom is with them. The Messiah is in our midst. And that's not temporary. He is not here and then gone. Like, he is with us. Jesus died once for our sin. It's it's accomplished. He rose once for all. The Spirit was sent into the world and as a real presence of Jesus among us. The Spirit of Christ is gathering and purifying us as a bride for him. This is the gospel, you guys. This is the good news. This is that new wine that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says there is an old wineskin that can't contain it. I think it's directly tied to fasting. There is an old type of fasting that doesn't work. There's no break in Jesus' thought. He says, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away and then they will fast. And then he goes straight. There's no break. No one puts a piece of unshrunk, unshrunk cloth on an old garment. It's the same in all three of the synoptic gospels. I think the old shrunken cloth, the old brittle wineskin, it's directly related to fasting as the Jewish custom was. So this then creates a problem for us as you're reading this passage or as the hearers of this in, the, in Jesus' day. Two verses earlier, Jesus had just told us that we will fast when the bridegroom is gone. But the old wineskin of fasting is not suitable for this new situation. So we will fast, but the only fasting that they had ever known was not suitable for this new reality of the presence of God with us. So there has to be a new type of fasting. The old fasting was based out of mourning over sin, yearning for deliverance, fear from danger, longing for God. This new fasting is based out of an understanding that Christ has accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Jesus has come. He has conquered. He has has won the decisive battle. He has triumphed. The Messiah has entered into history. This is what we just looked at through the Advent series. He's entered into history, into the earth, He has conquered through his death and resurrection. And now we have great hope that he will accomplish what he set out to accomplish. He will make all things new. He will restore the heavens and the earth. The great decisive act of salvation for us today has been accomplished. It is past. It's good news. something that has happened by which everything now is uh, different because of it. And it's on the basis of that past work that Jesus has accomplished that nothing will ever be the same again. Because of the slain lamb, the shed blood of the innocent one, the punishment of our sin has been, has been dealt with. Death has been defeated. The Spirit has then been sent and is in us, there is new wine. The old fasting mindset will not be adequate. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. The aching and the yearning and the longing for Christ and his power that drives us to fasting are not the expression of emptiness. They're the expression of need, Of longing, of hunger, but not of emptiness. We have the victory with Jesus. There is there is confidence in His presence. Let's look at three reasons why I think we should fast. First, one to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Jesus said. Uh, during his 40-day, the end of his 40-day fast, when he's being tempted by the tempter, he said that man shall not live by bread alone. Again, when he's with the woman at the well, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. John Piper said this, I think it's, it's really good. He said, if you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. The essence of New Testament fasting, the essence of biblical fasting, is to hunger and feel homesick and longing for God. That you'll do anything or go without anything if by any means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights so that we can preserve the sweet longing and homesickness for the presence of God. We fast to deepen and to demonstrate our hunger and our longing for God. It's a superior reality of all other things, of the natural hungers that you feel. Fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. John Piper said it's whole body hungering for God. Dallas Willard said fasting is feasting but on the Lord and doing his will. Second thing, we fast to amplify our prayers. Scott McKnight, in his book on fasting, calls fasting body talk. It's embodied spirituality, it's using your flesh to say your prayers. Fasting is prayer, it's prayer with your body, not just your mind. I think we see this as a clear practice in the New Testament. And in the early church, when they were faced with great need and big decisions, fasting was a key to the way they prayed. They incorporated their whole person, not just their intellect. And third, and this one is, is intriguing to me, uh, we, in the Bible, we fast to stand in solidarity with the poor, This was the practice throughout the whole early church, throughout the New Testament. I think based out of Isaiah 58, which I'm going to read a little bit of this. Isaiah 58, verse 6, and moving on. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless and poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover them, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. He goes on and on. The, the point there is that for the early church especially, fasting historically was tied to this practice called almsgiving. It was always tied to giving to the poor and needy. It was a way of of standing in solidarity and also empathetically uh, with those who lacked. Practically, by sharing your food that you would otherwise be eating with those who didn't have it. Now, I want to clarify, there's a couple ways fasting goes wrong. Going back to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six, sixteen through eighteen, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. He goes on. Jesus is not I don't think Jesus here is saying fasting in public is wrong because we have many examples throughout the New Testament of people fasting in community, fasting together. They, they knew each other was fasting. I think what he is saying is fasting for a show is wrong. The Bible is pretty clear on this. And the Sermon on the Mount in general, if you read through the whole sermon, is very much about taking uh, practices and teachings and getting to the heart of them. Fasting goes wrong for many reasons. It goes wrong if you're doing it to show off. Look how spiritual I am. Look how much I fast. I think it goes wrong if you're doing it to lose weight or for your body image. I think it goes wrong if you're using it as a tool to try to manipulate God, like twist his arm. If we're fasting for any of those reasons, I think we've missed the point. When you're fasting, it's not a time to show off your like cool Daniel fast recipes or whatever. It's not a way for you to twist God's arm and be like, see God, see how much I love you, see how much I'm doing for you. That's not the point. It's not a time for you to be thinking about your body image or your weight. Fasting is about embodying prayer. It's a time for you to bring your flesh along with what God is doing in your heart and in your spirit and in your mind. So the question is, where does that leave us? What does that mean for us? What are we going to do with this? Let's go back and let's look at that verse that we opened with tonight in Joel 2. Joel 2 This is one of my favorite little passages through the prophets. Joel 2, starting in verse 12, Joel says, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave behind, leave blessings behind a grain offering and a drink offering for your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chambers. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? So as we're entering into this new year, together as a community, with so much tension, and drama, and all that still very palpable from this last couple years. Let's fast together. Let's pray together. This passage, Joel is calling the people, and this is one of my favorite things here, to return to the Lord, to rend their hearts and not their garments. The common practice, and I think you guys have probably seen the I think it's in some of the Disney videos. They tear their shirts when they're mourning. Like that. Joel is saying, don't do that to you. Don't, don't ruin a good shirt. Rend your heart. Tear open your heart. Let, let the expression of your heart. Tear open your heart before me. Not your garments before everyone else. I think that's the point. So as we are grieved by the spiritual condition, the climate around us, grieved by the need for the gospel in our city, in our county, the proper response to that when we realize things are not okay, Sonoma County needs Jesus. They need the gospel. The proper response to that as disciples of Jesus is to rend our hearts, to come to the Lord with fasting and prayer. I love that in this passage in Joel, it's the whole community. It's not just the elders. It's the infants and the nursing moms. Everyone is called to join into this fast. No matter what you're doing, where you are, what position in life you're at, consecrate the congregation. Assemble everyone. I think this is for all of us. We all have a part to play in this. We believe that the Lord is going to do and wants to do amazing things through this community and in our city and in our county, but it's going to take all of us seeking the Lord. You guys, the Bay Area is not too far gone. Sonoma County is not too far gone. God can still do a work here. Amen? And who knows? Like Joel says, who knows? God may just leave a blessing behind. We don't do it necessarily for the blessing, but who knows? God may leave a blessing. So very practically, I'm inviting you guys to join us in fasting and praying for three weeks, starting next Sunday, that'll be the 9th, and going concluding on the 30th. Three things that I want to be praying for as a community, and we'll send this out. You guys can have it. Three things. I want to be praying that, to get God's heart for our city and our county. What does God want to do here? Praying, fasting and praying to ask for wisdom and direction for this next year as a church family and to get fresh vision for renewal in the church. And we are praying and fasting to grow as a community in practicing the way of Jesus. As I was thinking about fasting and studying fasting, I was really struck by the fact that the early church did not fast on Saturdays and Sundays. And I think that that's actually a really good practice for us coming out of, I hope we're coming out of COVID, (laughs) uh, so much time separated, I want to encourage us, let's not fast on Saturdays and Sundays. Let's be with each other. Let's use your weekends as a tool to be together with people. Share a meal with somebody. Celebrate. The the point, the reason the early church didn't fast on Saturdays and Sundays was because Saturday was the Sabbath. It was meant for family and for rest. Sunday was the Lord's day. It was about celebration. Take the weekends and celebrate the Lord together. Be in community. Be with each other. Challenge each other. Encourage each other. There's a lot of practical things that go into fasting, a lot of, like, nuances into how you fast or what you do. I want to keep it super simple I think the vast majority of us, fasting like the early church did from sunup to sundown or, or possibly just skipping a meal, um, would be very good for us, would be a really good practice to, to develop. So take the time that you would devote to feeding yourself. That's the point. Cooking a meal, going to get a meal, whatever it is, take that time And pivot that time to prayer. Pivot that energy that you would give to feeding yourself and shift that to being with Jesus. And my hope, my prayer, is that as we do this for three weeks, that it would result in us keeping this practice up as a normal part of our rhythms as disciples of Jesus. That we would re- Discover the process and the habit of fasting as a regular discipline in our walk with Jesus. So, Jordan can come back up, and I want to pray together for those three things that I I mentioned as he's coming back up. So, if you join me in prayer. God, as a community, we are asking that you would give us your heart for our city and our county. God, I'm asking that you would show us what you want to do in this county, that you would give us your insight into how you want to bring the gospel to our friends and family, to our coworkers and to our neighbors. God, you would give us our hearts. You'd break our hearts for the things that break yours, that you would show us what you want to do. And God, I ask for wisdom and direction of, for this community, this family, this church family, that you would give us fresh vision for what life in this community looks like, for, for renewal in this church, renewal in your body. God, that you would speak clearly, that your voice would be made known. And God, I ask that this community, this family would grow as disciples of Jesus, that we would practice the way of Jesus. We would, we would do the things of Jesus. We would be known as a community that looks and acts like Jesus. God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us in Jesus' name.